0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Lyrian, Family Counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each
1: week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have our Q&A session. So if you have a burning question for me and you're looking for some free and helpful advice that will not only help your family, but it'll also help all the listeners who are sharing the same situations at home and make them feel not so alone that it's not just their kid, please hashtag ask Allison. email me uh, the email addresses in the show notes. So let's get started on the ones that I have today. Uh, we have... Um, a note here that says, hi, Allison. I just completed your recent webinar. I did so just for people to know. I did a webinar on tweens and teens. And if you're interested in getting that recording, again, follow the email and ask for that. We're uh, selling it post-production if you want to listen to the recording. She said, I was unable to ask a question because I didn't watch it live And so um, I understand that you'll answer questions on your podcast. Well, yes, I do. And here I am. So my question is, how do we prepare to allow our tweens the freedom to do things they'd like to go to the park independently or sleep over at a friend's house? Specifically, when we know that there are external dangers, i.e. creeps. I've done the following. Explain not to get into a car with anyone. Kick and punch and yell for help if someone tries to grab them or touch them inappropriately. Gone over the route to attend the local park. It's... um, five foot walk from the house, reviewed street crossings and vetted the friend's family as best as possible. My daughter who is seeking out more independence is 11 years old. Well, let me start by saying that yes, it is important that we train our children to handle life independently as they are seeking out more independence. And all of that I think is, is fantastic and a good premise. But we do also have to remember that we will never clean up all of life and that um, we really want our kids to have a mindset that says that they are competent and capable and the world is a safe and loving place and that they can handle problems as they arise. If we tell them repeatedly that the world is a dangerous place and a scary place and you can't handle it and I'm worried about you and we project our anxieties onto our kids, we are not doing them any favors. Statistically speaking, uh, abductions and creepy things that happen to kids um, is actually, from a percentage basis, fairly uh, small, infrequent. When we hear about abducted children, mostly we're hearing about parents that are in custody battles, and and the person who has abducted the child is actually a family member in a domestic um, quarrel and dispute about access to kids. It's It's not these weird things. Now, of course, they do happen, and I think the horrific thought of that is what makes us become so so concerned in, in the street proofing of our kids. But we can't let that fill our kids with fear. Um, that's really an, an unfair thing to do. So in terms of the street proofing, <clears throat> I think you've got a, a good start on things there. The um, mentor of mine who trained me in Ed in, uh, clinical practice is Larry Nissen. He has since passed, but he created a program that um, because he has passed, I don't think the program has been uh, kept up. Uh, but it is called Protective Parenting, and it is a street proofing um, program for people that are listening to this that have younger kids. There's also a good one uh, that you can just get from the public library. Um, it's uh, Winnie the Pooh's Street Proofing is also another good one. But in the Protective Parenting one, uh, I'll just give you the the highlights of this. And uh, the idea behind this is that. If you're going to have one of those creeps, again, rare, but if we're training for safety, we have to realize that the manner in which they work is that they they try trickery. And, um, and that means that we have to say to our kids that at 11 years old, we can't expect you to assess information and make a decision independently about, you know, rights and wrongs and what you should and shouldn't do. And so instead, to make sure that you never succumb to their trickery, Um, we're going to just teach you these power rules and regardless of the situation, memorize these power rules and apply them because when there has been situations and we've talked to kids afterwards, they'll say, but they looked so young, but they looked so nice, but they said they were missing their puppy and I was just being a helper or well, they fell down with their grocery bags you know, I was, I was trying to be kind and helpful. So when you see how they dupe kids, it's because they're, they know exactly how kids behave. So, We need to say, don't think and assess the situation, just follow these power rules. So, I want to go over what the power rules are. The first one is, I don't go with someone I don't know. So, if somebody comes up and says to you, Hi, you don't know me, but I work with your mother. She's just been taken to the hospital. She told me to come over and get you and bring her to her. She wants to see you in the hospital. I'm here to pick you up you would just apply the rule. I don't go with someone. I don't know. You said, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm not coming. Uh, the second one, adults should seek help from other adults, not children. So if they've lost a dog, if they've fallen down and they ask you for help, you can say adults help adults. I'm sure you'll work it out. Adults don't ask children for help. Pay attention to that. That is, um, don't assess whether they really lost their dog, whether they really fell down, whether they really can't reach their cane, whatever it is, adults help adults just apply the rule. Don't try to assess it. Three, never display your name. So this is especially important with social media and the way that we post pictures, and parents should be aware of this too, um, that when you put your name on shirts and caps, it's very easy then for somebody to say, hey, you know, Billy. And like, how did you, you know, they don't say, how did you know my name? They're like, you know, hey, you're Billy Sherman. You're, you know, your mom said I need to pick you up and and um, take you to work. She The car broke down. She can't come get you. I, you know, I'm supposed to take you to your hockey or whatever it is. Um, so they use information um, and then the child saying, well, how could this person know my name? That, that must be true. So, no, a lot of it is because they've displayed their name in pictures, on their clothing, and this person has been... Um, seeking this person out and now they've got enough information to to pull their trickery on them. So don't display uh, names. And then the other thing is to have a family code word and to change it frequently so that if you do have someone come from your mother's office or somebody does use your proper name and you don't know them, you can say, oh, well then good. If you talk to my parents and they said, pick me up, then you must know our code word. What's the code word? And if they don't have the code word, you don't go. So have that special code word and, and update it frequently. Um, the other is to take two steps back. When people want to just call you over, I need instructions. I'm, I'm lost. Can you tell me where the whatever is? If, they, if they're like, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can, you. can you come closer? When someone approaches you to ask for help or instructions or whatever, you need to stay, take two steps back. Adults that are talking to kids should not be within arm's reach. Two steps back. And then you've already taught this, but again, if there's a weapon or if someone has actually grabbed you, Kids think that, you know, they're going to get stabbed or shot or whatever, and so they go um, quietly, and in fact, they very, they do not want to, um, they do not want to create a scene, they, uh, they don't want eyes on them, they don't want witnesses, and so you need to scream at the top of your head, this is not my parent, Because a lot of times when we see screaming kids get taken off of a playground or something, we think, oh, you know, the kid didn't want to go home. He's still playing on the monkey bars and he's got to go home for supper. And, you know, God, but for the great, but, you know, glad it's not me. So teaching them that they need to scream. This is not my parent. Help me. You know, and again, these are all scary things we have to teach our kids. But to say, hey, listen, you know, this like next to never, 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 never happens. But boy, you know. Wouldn't it be nice to know that you know how to handle yourself should that ever arise and you know, tell your friends about it too. So we want to, again, minimize and and keep proportionality to to the risk factors of those kinds of things happening. And then with the babysitters, you know, you're absolutely right. Know the parents. Say hi to the parents. You know, having a good relationship with your child whereby they talk to you about things that s- seemed off to them or uncomfortable to them and teaching them to speak up and have that voice that that quiet little inner voice that um allows them to protest one of the biggest things about as you say creepy people creepy people tend to know the children and um that you know it's the aunts the uncles the, the parents of friends the person down the block that babysits if you're really looking at you know, sexual sexual predation and, and fear of that And they look for kids that are obedient, kids that don't have good relationships at home or kids that are very compliant. And so this is why I'd rather have a rebel kid who will speak up. So if you can try to encourage them to use their voice and to think about how things go at your house when your kids have dissent, when they don't like what's served for dinner or snack or they don't like bedtime – Do you have family meetings and hear them out? Do they feel empowered to speak up and make change? Or do they feel like, well, it doesn't matter what happens. No one listens to me. Or whenever I speak up, I just get in trouble. So I better not. Or adults have all the authority. So I guess if they're saying I have to play the tickle game, I better do that. So we really don't want blindly obedient children for exactly these reasons. So if you want to do some protective uh, work, proactive and, and protective, have good relationships, teach your kids to speak up, teach them to listen to that little inner voice and to exercise their power at home, and they're more likely to exercise their power out in the world if they can exercise it at home, which is why I'm passionate about Hitlerian parenting, because we definitely train kids in that direction. So I hope that's that's helpful. If anybody wants to check out Protective Parenting and those um, steps again, they're on my website, alisonschafer.com, and I will. Um, you'll see the link to that in my show notes. Moving along here. This was uh, a question that came in from my Facebook Lives. If you don't know, I do a Facebook Live every Thursday, 12 o'clock to 1230 Eastern Standard Time. And I also interact with parents there and answer questions for the community. This is my community give back. I know that the wait lists right now to speak to therapists and to get into programs can, you know, my wait list is a year long. So I actually just closed it down. It's ridiculous to wait a year. But Anyways, so during the pandemic, when everybody was seeking resources, I launched the podcast and I increased my Facebook lives so that I could be as helpful to the community as possible. So thank you for those people that join my Facebook lives. But because they end in half an hour and I get more questions there than I can answer in a half an hour, I've asked them if it's okay to answer on the podcast. So these are from this week's. Um, I just discovered my 17-year-old daughter has been spending three to $400 a month on fast food and drinks. She has a job and earns her own money. However, being in grade 12, she's expected to contribute to save for university. When we tried to talk to her about this, she didn't seem too concerned and commented that everyone buys this stuff every day. I'm frugal by nature and this spending is horrific. Strategies? (laughs) Uh, So first of all, can I say congratulations that you have a daughter who um, has a job and is um, um, paying paying for her own spending. Uh, In this day and age, that's actually rare. So I think it's important for kids to have jobs, part-time jobs. And I think that when they're making money, you have money so that you can learn about money, so you can learn financial literacy. Uh, The important thing here is to know that while we can talk about um, budgeting, savings, and things like this, we also have to have the recognition that what our kids value and what they choose to spend money on may be very different than our values and what we would spend money on. And your kid might roll their eyeballs that, you know, are you going antiquing again? Why do you buy all this old broken stuff? Um, or somebody might say, why do you need another beanie, baby? You've got 10,000 of them. You know, why do you need another pair of, you know, black shoes? <laughs> Every Or new golf clubs. I mean, <clears throat> everybody has different values about what they spend their money on. And so we have to be um, at seventeen. She's earning this money. This is her money to spend. Um, you know, you could, if you've done your good training around how to budget, how to save, and she knows those things. You, you got to let go of the value that she puts behind what she's spending her money on. Um, however, you also are allowed to budget and save and put values on what you'll spend your money on because it's your money and you're working hard in occupation and putting money aside for your kid's education. And so it's fair for you to say that we are contributing this amount of money to your education and anything above and beyond that's required is, is to be covered by you. So I just want you to be aware that when you're making a choice between going for lunches and spending your money on this or that, that you're still expected to come up with the additional, whatever it is, 2,000, 5,000, that's going to be required in September, and those fees are due at this time. So you're sharing information, you are sharing expectations, and it's fine for you to say, I'm just concerned, you know, if you want to make the deadline for when tuition is due, or when your food package or rent is due, and you're expected to contribute $2,000 to that, um, just want to make sure you're still tracking with that. And then that's it, You, you know, stay in your lane and let the consequences happen. And it can be very painful when they realize, oh, man, my parents really, Came through with that. I'm short. I'm short money. I, I, I'm going to actually have to miss a semester. That's where the rubber hits the road. I mean that it, it's. Um, everyone says that Adlerian parenting sounds so. You know, oh, it's so child centered, and you know, you're respecting kids, and you're let. You know, they get very confused that we're permissive. We're not. We are not permissive at all. We. This is what I'm suggesting here is having respect for a child respect enough to know that they can make choices, respect enough that they can learn from consequences, respect enough that we don't need to yell and fight and get into a big tizzy about things. I'm saying, you know, I'm training you, giving you information and telling you what I'm willing to do and not do, and disclosing that to you, and I trust that you are a decision maker who can manage life's decisions and learn from the choices that you make. And um, and that this may just be one of those. It's often harder for a parent to watch a child make a mistake. <laughs> so... That's where I would go with that. I hope that's helpful. And our last question. How do you help a teen that has no voice? She can't get the person to stop name calling, but it does not stop. She can tell the teacher, but the teacher does not stop it. It only gets stopped because she was physical. This is a small group of kids with disabilities with maturing and social interactions. So they will be together all the time. Well, I I don't know if I fully understand the situation. Uh, I, I hear that she's a teenager. I'm not sure if this disabilities with maturing and social interactions i don't know if she's if we're talking about um, a school that specializes in people um, that are struggling with some of these skills i'm I'm not quite sure but let me give you my best best attempt and i hope this applies to the situation if not give me more details and i will take another crack at it and i'm assuming that you've sent me this because i've just recently been posting on uh, bullying prevention month and uh, ways to prevent bullying and respond to bullying and signs of bullying. Um, and so if people are interested in that topic matter on my uh, Facebook, you can see my interviews and some of my uh, tips for parents around that. And a great resource for that is PrevNet, as in prevention, PrevNet, prevention network, PrevNet.ca. Tons of resources there. And again, I'll put that up in the show notes. But what I would say is, you know, how do we how do we make somebody stop calling names? So we just go back to first principles of psychology here. You can't make another person do anything. That is the reality of life. That all we can do is put the focus back on what can I do? What power do I hold in this interactional situation? If I can make different choices, then the scenario changes. So what is your daughter actually in control of? You're saying she doesn't have a voice, but let's go through some other things she has control over. One thing she has control over is her attitude, to not let it bother her. And I, I realize that's a skill in and of itself, but we can remind her that nobody can insult her without her permission. That is a that is a classic quote. Um, but she needs to like hear the words and see them kind of like slide off of her, like the way an egg slides out of a Teflon pan. She does not need to internalize it, she doesn't need to personalize it. Um so one of the ways that we can help kids understand that is to help her to understand what might be going on for this other girl that she is throwing names. And so we're teaching her a little bit about psychology here, which is to say, you know, what would have to be true or what would be the purpose of, a, of somebody being a name caller? And so to get her to understand that people who can't Find their social position through their own merits will often take lazy ways to elevate themselves um, by the lazy route of just making other people look bad, and this is a lot of why people bully or mistreat people. It's a way of making of of impressing or making themselves look big by making somebody else look small. And so, what's going on for this other girl that she has insecurities or hasn't doesn't have enough a belief in herself? on her own merits that she could um, she could warrant her her place in the group. So, you know, teaching your kids about that and then coaching them on <clears throat> what she could say or do in the moment that doesn't give this bully any power, the way of not shrinking, not shrinking so that the bully feels that they've won and reached their goal by belittling this person, but neither by the fighting back, which just repeats the cycle of bullying, it's using a relational aggression. Which we don't want to train our kids, and that's not helpful. Uh, but just some neutral response, so that the child, the the taunter, doesn't reach their goal of belittling her. Um, and so, rehearse some some comebacks around that. You know, I gave the example of, um, "Well, I'm sorry you don't like my glasses, but they really help me read." So you've acknowledged the comment. You haven't bull- You haven't you haven't volleyed an insult back, but neither have you. You're proving that they didn't get under your skin and upset you. The second choice that she has, and you can talk to her about this, is that if this is really um, a bullying situation and e- eroding her um, her ability to be fully present at school, and the school isn't doing anything about it, well, you can certainly go from the teacher to the principal to the superintendent and keep escalating um, appropriately. Or you can decide that this is just an environment that is not going to work for your child and you can move your child to a different class. Now, I, I'm not a fan of that. I don't think that the bully should be the one to have to, like, eat lunch, you know, alone because the cafeteria is where they get harassed. I, I think we have to change the cafeteria, not change where the, the person who's the target of the bullying is. But if it looks like you're not getting any response, you can't leave your child in that situation. So if the school's not going to do anything about it, this is this is exercising our control. Can you ask to be in a different classroom? Do you need to put her in a different school? Um, sometimes we need to move kids when we cannot get the um, adults or the school culture to change and you've got to get that kid out of that environment if it's creating mental health issues if it's if it's truly bullying but I'm not I'm not sure I mean because you said this comment about these kids seem to have some disabilities that are specific about maturing and social interactions I'm like that if that's their situation then that should be one of the main curriculum. At the school. I'm, I'm so I'm a little still confused about the situation. But, anyways, um, another choice that she can make is since she can't make anybody do anything, all you can do is control yourself. What other choice she might have is how could she win this friend over, this person who is throwing, tossing names? How could she befriend her so that this person doesn't want to treat her badly? Um, you know, how could she warm up to her? How could she warm the relations? Because we don't we don't target and attack and treat poorly people that we care about. So how could she do her part of befriending and winning this friend over? So there's some ideas. And again, if I've missed the point, because I don't understand the situation, please, you know, write me back with some more details and I'll try to answer that. Um, um, but again, because we're talking about bullying prevention, it's really important for people to differentiate from the fact that some kids... And especially in the middle school years, they tend to have a really hard time with socializing in a in a constructive way, moving in and out of friend groups, and they often treat each other not well, and so conflict and um, meanness happen. They do, you know, it's part of getting through childhood. But those meanness and unkindnesses and moving in and out of friend groups is not the same as bullying, and so um, you know, bullying has to be repeated, targeted, and the person who is the victim has to have a sense of anticipatory fear that it's going to happen again. So really work with the school to find out whether or not it meets the criteria. And uh, kids who have been uh, are in the process of being bullied, we need to take that very, very seriously. And like I said, if it means you need to switch schools, you need to switch schools. Sometimes we have to do really big things for these kids But yes, see what else you can find out and more information. And hopefully this little bit has helped you and other families that are listening. So that's it for my questions for this week. Take care, everybody. Talk to you next time.
0: As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast.
1: So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations,
0: including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and
1: Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit.